If you have your Bible, I would invite you to open with me, please, to the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. And I want to share three verses with you here in Hebrews chapter 10 that will be mighty familiar to you. And we will start our reading, please, in verse 25. Some sermons you look forward to a, a little bit more than others. And that's not to be said disrespectfully in any way. There's just some topics when you have the privilege of preaching you really enjoy talking about and you know you're going to enjoy sharing with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And guess what? This just happens to be one of those evenings. I've been looking forward to sharing this sermon with you and it's going to be a little bit more enjoyable than fasting, I guarantee it. And we're looking forward to it. I know I am. Both important topics and like Brother Shelby shared with me, you have to preach the full counsel of God. and He's exactly right. I'm thankful for the elders that we have that insist upon preaching the whole counsel of God. Everything that the Bible has to say from topic to topic, as long as it's scriptural, we're going to stand for it. And we're going to proclaim it and we're going to do that without apology regardless of what the world says. Because we don't want to please men. Ultimately, we want to be pleasing unto the Lord. So that's our goal. And we're blessed to have good elders and good deacons and a vibrant membership that is dedicated to this. And also, if you haven't been able to sign these three cards, I'm looking forward to doing that. Lord's will at the conclusion of the service. But I cannot say enough good about those three cards and how wonderful it is that we can bear the burdens of one another and we can do simple gestures that let our brothers and sisters know that they are important to us, that we are mindful of them, and that we extend these good works to let them know that we miss them, they're of value, and we're looking forward to having them back in our midst once again, and indeed so. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and starting in verse 25, familiar reading, but I want to set the stage for what we're going to talk about tonight by starting here. The Bible says the Hebrew writer, which most believe is the Apostle Paul, but we will refer to him as the Hebrew writer, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together 
as the manner of some is. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. And even in biblical times, there were those that were being laxed in their attendance to the assembly. But exhorting one another, that's to warn and to build up and to strengthen. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now notice verse 26. For if we sin on purpose, if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, so we know better and we still choose to do what is wrong in God's sight and we continue a continual participation in willful sin, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but here is what does remain. Please notice verse 27. But a certain, so it's for sure, fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries of God. So that remains for the one who tramples underfoot willfully and continually the grace of God. One that knows better and openly rebels and keeps that spirit of rebellion within himself or herself. There is a sure expectation of fiery indignation that will ultimately consume or devour the adversary. Our actions can make us an adversary, an enemy of God if we choose to participate in sin willfully and in a continual nature. Now, keep those thoughts in mind, please, and turn with me a few pages to the right to the book of 1 John chapter 3. And let's start our remarks here in verse 7. And Lord's will, we'll look at 10 or 11 verses together right here throughout the remainder and the conclusion of our sermon, our lesson this evening. 1 John chapter 3 and starting our remarks in verse 7. And as we go through these verses together, as we labor to study these verses together, we will find application of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 25 through 27, right here as well in regards to what the Holy Spirit inspired through the Apostle John. Little children, so this is written to Christian people. That's the addressing little children 1 John chapter 3 and verse 7. Don't let anyone deceive you. Let no man deceive you, family. It can happen. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let someone convince you 
that you can be in a right standing with God in open rebellion, that you can participate in disobedience day in and day out and still be right in the eyes of God. Someone who would teach you that is in line with deception. And the Bible here says, do not be deceived. You're righteous because you live righteously. You're striving to do what is right in the eyes of God. Now notice verse 8, please. He that committeth sin is of the devil. And there's a reason for that. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. So let's give credit where credit is due. Sin is accredited to the devil. And he would like to destroy you and devour you spiritually through lawlessness, which is sin. Doing what God has said not to do or failing on purpose to do what God has told you to do. Satan seeks to destroy you with sin. For this purpose, Jesus, the Son of God, was manifested, made evident, that He might destroy the works of the devil. So, there's a two-way street there. Jesus is working to destroy sin. And Satan is working to destroy you spiritually with sin. We have to decide whom we're going to follow. Let's continue. Whosoever is born of God, immersed into Christ, risen to walk in a newness of life, born again of the water and spirit, and of that seed that is incorruptible when planted, when engrafted, which is the ever-abiding living Word of God. That individual that is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, that's the Word of God, and it's incorruptible, and he cannot sin because he is born of God, I want you to know that there's a prevalent doctrine that was taken from that one Scripture. And it's called sinless perfection. And individuals teach just this within that doctrine. That as a Christian, you can get to the point because you're born of God that you are above sin and you will never sin because you know the Word of God. David knew the Word of God. He was a person after God's own heart, but did he sin? And he sinned grievously. We also know that the same writer said, if any man claims to be without sin, he is a liar, and the truth is far from him, or simply not in him. This is why I wanted to share Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 through 27. If we sin willfully, if we continue in the spirit of sin day in and day out, we are manifesting 
that were not born of God, but as one that is born of God, we're striving to be repentant when we do sin and we do not stay in that condition. It convicts us. We bring it to God through Jesus. We ask for forgiveness and we strive to get back on the straight and narrow path. The attitude that we have is a spiritual attitude born of God. Verse 10, In this the children of God are manifest. With that attitude, a repentant attitude, not wanting to sin, and if there is sin in our lives, being convicted of that, and striving not to continue in that sin, we manifest or make evident that we are the children of God. Now, the children of the devil, they're on the opposite side of the equation. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. I call your attention to the book of Romans, chapter 8 and verse 20. The book of Romans, chapter 8 and verse 20. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says by the inspiration of God to Christian people in Rome. It is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. The same writer said, the things that I want to do I do the opposite. That's what is taught by the Apostle Paul. He also taught us in 1 Corinthians that he had to buffet his body daily. And he did that for this reason that while he preached to others, he himself would not become disqualified for the prize or a castaway. So sinless perfection was far from the mind of the Apostle Paul. He gave credit to Satan and credit to sin for the wrongdoing that he did, but he had the attitude of buffeting his body daily and staying on the right course. Let's go back, please, to 1 John chapter 3 and let's notice the last part of verse 10. One that does what is evil, practices unrighteousness, will not love their brother or sister in Christ. And we have to have an affection for one another. We are the called out of the world. You are special to me. You are God's special chosen people under this covenant as Christians, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation of peculiar people, and we are to have preference for one another to the point that we would be willing to sacrifice of ourselves to be an assistance to our brother and sister in Christ. And I remind you of Galatians 6 and verse 10, which you know by heart, do good unto all men, but especially 
in detail, especially the household of faith. That says it all. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, in verse 11, it's not new, that we should love one another. That's the central theme of John's writing, Holy Spirit inspired. Love one another. Be concerned about one another. The world is not concerned about you. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, we bear the burdens of one another and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the message from the beginning. To have love and it was first demonstrated by our Heavenly Father in sending His Son to die on behalf of the ungodly. He was willing to do just that. How am I and who am I to disregard my brother and sister in Christ when God has given so much for me, purchased the church with His own precious or the precious blood of His own Son, and I'm going to stand opposed to my brother and sister in Christ. I would hate, truly hate, to stand before the righteous judge and give an account of why I did not love my brother and sister in Christ. That would be a terrible fear to have that standing. Let's talk about Cain for just a moment as an example of one who did unrighteousness in his life. Not as Cain in verse 12, who was of that wicked one. Again, let's give credit where credit is deserving. Cain followed after the evil workings of Satan himself. He slew his brother. He was a murderer, and Satan is a murderer from the beginning as well. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother Abel, his works were righteous. And doesn't that go back right to where we started in verse 7? Do not let anyone deceive you. The one who does what is right is right in the sight of God. And the one who does what is wrong is right in the sight of Satan. And we make our choice. Even from the long, long ago and what we refer to as the age of patriarchs, this standing was understood. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Are you offended at the world? Does the world cause you to stumble? We rise up above it by following God. We are warned that the world will stand opposed to us if we do what the Bible says. And sadly, Many individuals that consider themselves Christians go out and take a public opinion poll to find out where they're going to stand. And they let society influence the church instead of the other way around. The church should have impact and influence on our society. 
It's the institution that we truly care about. The church, our families, and showing that to a lost and dying world. The world will accept anything that is new. It's always looking for a cutting edge. But God's Word and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's never going to change regardless of what the world says. And we are warned by this same writer, do not love the world, nor the things that are of the world, for they're fading away. They will be devoured. All the works of men's hands and all the beauty of this world will be melted with fervent heat. But the one who does the will of the Father follows His Word. That seed that remaineth in you, that motivates you and drives you, will endure forever. We make our choice. So don't marvel. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked in any way when the world stands against you. For we know, in verse 14, we're convinced that we have passed from death unto life. And how's that manifest? How's that made evident? How's that shown? That we love the brethren. He that does not love his brother abideth in death while your light came. That's what the previous verse said. If you make the decision to be disheartened toward the brethren, you're aligning yourself with a murderer from the beginning. Your light came, but ultimately you're like Satan. That's whom you're following. God loves. God builds us up. God wants to destroy sin. And Satan wants to highlight it. We follow God. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. That's strong language, isn't it? In our society, when we think about a murderer, that's one of the most grievous charges we can lay against someone. That individual took an innocent life that was not theirs to take. They're a murderer. We would imprison that person. Sometimes we will exact a death penalty depending on the state of that individual, depending on how heinous the crime is. The Bible says hating your brother puts you in that category, in the sight of God. Why? It's just that destructive. If you want to tear someone down in the church, start discouraging them all you can. That's what happens to them. And before you know it, they'll be absent. Cords will be broken. Feelings will be hurt. And there will be devastation. So we love our brethren. We have a kind word for our brethren. We draw strength with the unity that we have. And doesn't that come back to the bond of peace that we read about in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Colossians? That is achieved through unity. Sound mind, saying the same things. Standing for the same things. Teaching the same things. Striving to be in one accord and showing that unified front of Christ to the world. If there's just ten righteous left, that's ten that are very worthwhile. May we continue? And you know in verse 15 that no murderer has eternal life abiding in Him. Wait a moment. 
Is eternal life abiding in me as a Christian? Is the opposite of that statement true? It always is. If you're a murderer, if you're sowing discord among your brethren, if you have hatred towards your brother and sister, you have forfeited eternal life. But what if you're building your brother and sister up? What if you're striving to be Christ-like? What if you're following these blessed commands and looking forward to these promises? Has it not been proclaimed today that heaven is your home when this life is over? God has already delivered that promise to you. Do you realize it? If you shut your eyes in death, and we don't know when death comes to our door, the day and hour is unknown, but if we're faithful to Christ, a faithful member of His body in the church, we have the promise that our home is in heaven when this life is over. So as you live physically, do you realize that the love of Christ abides in you, compels you, and eternal life abides in you as well? It's present. And no person can take that from you. I want you to know that. He is the author of eternal salvation to all those that obey Him. If you will choose to live an obedient life, it's yours. It's eternal. Yes, I believe in eternal salvation. Live in obedience. I don't believe in eternal salvation of unrighteousness. The Bible just said not to be deceived. Don't let anyone tell you do whatever you want to do and go to heaven. That's false. But if you live a righteous life, it's yours. Not because you deserve it, because God has grace and mercy. Thanks be to God. I sure do. Hereby, we perceive the love of God. And how do we perceive that? He laid down His life for us. Is Jesus God? Did that not just say that God laid down His life? Don't let anyone tell you that Jesus is not part of the Godhead. The Bible just said that God laid down His life, but it was Jesus that He sent. Jesus said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. They had unity, taught the same things. We're of one accord. Yes, they're three, but they're one. A great mystery. Do I fully understand it? Absolutely not. Does the Bible teach it? Absolutely. Does that settle it? 100%. I will take God at His Word. That's faith. And I will do what He asked me to do. In baptism, Jesus said, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's three definite articles. That's three individuals that make up in one God. The love of God. He laid down His life for us. And in turn, we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Are you willing? Are you willing to sacrifice your life for your brother and sister in Christ? Because the Bible said that's the debt we owe. I'm willing to do it for you. I love you enough to do what I can to be in assistance even if it's difficult for me. If someone is not willing to help a brother and sister in need, are you meeting this verse? Will you stand before Jesus 
and he asked the questions of Matthew 25, just like Brother Shelby Roy has shared with us in the previous weeks. Did you clothe me when I was naked? Were you there for me? Did you have preference for the household of God? Did you have a liberal distribution of the gospel and your goods for the brethren and all? That's part of the gospel, by the way. That we're willing to give. We're willing to sacrifice. And when we do so, God receives the credit. Let's look at that verse again. I want to show you that. I want to drive that home. We perceive the love of God. He laid down His life. So when you are self-sacrificial, you're following what happened first. The credit goes to God. He did it first. He's the example. There's no glory to me. I'm just doing what God told me to do. And I'll give Him the credit. I'll give His church the credit. We can accomplish great things as a congregation doing them in the name of Christ by His authority. Things that I would not be able to accomplish on my own. But if I'm willing to bear the burdens of one another, if I'm willing to fulfill the law of Christ, if I'm willing to give Him my time, effort, and self, and if I'm willing to seek the kingdom first, that willingness leads to more than I can do by myself when I do it and practice pure and undefiled religion within the church, seeing that God receives the credit and not just me. And that all goes back to the One who gave His Son on our behalf. And let's look at the last Scripture, please, as we bring this lesson to a close. In verse 17, 1 John chapter 3, But whoso have this world's good and sees his brother having need, what does he do? Shuts up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? That's a rhetorical question, isn't it? It answers itself. If you have the ability if you have the means, but you shut it up, you hoard it for yourself, you're like the parable of the farmer. I'll build more barns. I'll have more possessions. Well, your life will be demanded of you this night. Now answer who all this belong to. We are stewards. Simply stewards. Everything that I have from the coat on my back God has allowed me to have. If He didn't give me breath this morning, I couldn't be with you. If He didn't give me a mind to think and allow me to still think, I couldn't share a lesson with you. It's not me. I couldn't work each day. I could not provide. And so thankful I live in a country where we try to help one another. There's help available, but thanks be to God, it all comes back to Him as well. We're good stewards of what we have. But if I shut that up, if I will not share that with you, if I'm selfish in those endeavors, does the love of God dwell in me? Verse 18 tells us the answer. My little children, let us not love in word and neither in tongue. Oh, I love you. I'll say it, but my actions will say otherwise. Instead, in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth. 
and shall assure our hearts before Him. Set your mind on things above. The heart refers to the inward self. What truly motivates you. Set that on things above. Realize from whom all your blessings flow. And when you do this, you will have no trouble meeting the obligations of love for your brother and ultimately love for God. Putting His will first in your life, asking in prayer only according to His will and being accepted of what God gives for He knows best. If we're born of God, we do not commit sin. It's not our lifestyle. It's not a continual point in our life. Yes, we'll make mistakes. And if we say we don't, we're a liar and the truth is far from us. But we will have an attitude and a lifestyle, a dedication that wants to be repentant, that works godly sorrow, that asks for forgiveness and gets back to where we need to be. That's a Christian outlook, personality, and attitude. Thank you for your kind attention tonight. If anyone is present and has a need to render faithful obedience to your Lord's invitation, don't you know that it would be our joy to assist you? Come believing. Come willing to repent of your sins because of the belief that you have. Come willing to confess your faith in Christ as the Son of the living God before this congregation and be willing, because you have faith, to be buried with Christ in the watery grave for the remission of your past sins. God will add you to His church. You'll rise to walk in a newness of life. Those promises are for you because you followed God's Word and you'll be ready to live that faithful life all the days that you're blessed to have. And again, if anyone is subject in the manner that you've obeyed those commands but you've not lived a Christian life, we want to assist you back to the straight and narrow walk of life. Or if you simply desire our prayers, we're willing and equipped to do that as well. Whatever your need may be, please respond this evening realizing that there's no hope of tomorrow, it could be everlasting too late. If you have a decision to make, won't you render faithful obedience to your Lord's invitation as we stand and sing on your behalf.